I'm an accountant. <laughs> kind of sounds like the first of the 12 steps, doesn't it? Um, but it gets worse. I'm an accounting ethicist. Uh, and uh, whenever I say that, I usually get one of two responses. Uh, either people fall asleep twice, accounting, ethics, or they're muttering under their breath, uh, isn't that an oxymoron? You know, like uh, jumbo shrimp or government intelligence. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you have it. Uh, that's me. Um, so I am excited. I get to introduce uh, today um, this new series, Money Wise, and um, a really important topic, uh, money. You probably haven't seen it for a while. Uh, so um, at my request, uh, I have started a small fortune for you. On each bulletin, you'll find there's a penny. And that's what it used to look like anyway. Uh, now, uh, my youngest son says he doesn't actually take money, just Venmo. Uh, and so he hasn't seen it for years. But uh, so money, what is it? Well, among other things, money is the most powerful tool ever invented. Here's why. You can trade it for almost anything. You can also store it up. You can't put time in a bottle, but money fits there just fine. And last but not least, you can use it to measure. In fact, here's what economists say. Um, the three uses of money, uh, it's a medium of exchange. So no longer do we need the barter system. If I want a tennis racket and I've got a sheep, how do I find somebody who is willing to trade me their racket for my sheep? Very ineffective, right? So money takes care of that. But with it, you can get almost anything. Causes some problems, a lot of fights around that. What do you want? Uh, the second thing, again, is it is a store of value. And finally, again, a unit of account. Now, as, as an accountant, that's what I specialize in. Uh, we measure stuff. We're experts in measurement. And I always tell my accounting students, the purpose of accounting is to measure the truth. Therefore, being an accounting ethicist, it's not an oxymoron, it's redundant. An account that isn't truthful is no account at all. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. But for now, I just want you to understand what money is. Again, the sermon is money-wise. And the second thing I want to talk about, now that we've just kind of covered what money is used for, oh, I think I've got a slide for this. Um, the best use of money. Uh, and so if I'm out of order, my apologies, but I want to slide it in right here. The best use of money. In fact, I've got this slide. It was drawn by um, Joff Strout. He's out there somewhere. But Jesus tells us in one of his parables, there is a best use of money. He says this. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I love those drawings. There's that rich welcome you'll receive. And when you first hear that, by the way, I have been studying money. I've got a PhD in accounting. I'm a CPA. I've been doing this. I've been a professor for over 30 years, and I spend too much time thinking and talking about money. But this purpose in case you miss it as you're listening to Jesus' words here, what he's really doing is telling you this. If you'll use your wealth to love other people like God loved you, 
And if he gets the glory instead of you, you simultaneously fulfill the great commandments, love God and love people, and the great commission. You make disciples. People are attracted to God. So there is a best use of money. Even though economists say store of value, unit of account, medium of exchange, there's still one best use. We're going to come back to that as well, but I just wanted to get that out there before we move on to wisdom. Because wisdom, money-wise, wisdom is knowledge practiced rightly. Or what I like to say, character times competence times practice. The word right should be very familiar to you because it's the number one word in the entire Bible, except for three names for God and a few conjunctions. The word right. And by the way, when I say the right, it's a root word, right? So you might see the word upright or righteous. You might even see something like uh, tie your donkey to a tree and turn right at the next corner. So I get it. There's a lot of different uses of the word right, okay? But there's two main components when I look at rightness. And it's, here's a slide for you to kind of break this down. There's a character component, okay? Righteous versus wicked, good versus evil. And there's a competence component. Right versus wrong, correct versus incorrect, And so when I think about wisdom, I want you to think about it this way. Out in that far corner is wise. If you've got high character and high competence, you've put them both together. That's the box we're shooting for with our money. And of course, if you have neither, low character and low competence, the Bible would call you in Proverbs a fool. Okay. Now, in between, there's these funny little boxes, that upper left corner, I call that a college student. Sorry, that's, that's wrong. Incoming freshmen, sophomores. At APU, I, the last 12 years, I was a professor there. Um, and my students come with the, all this enthusiasm and want to change the world. They've got this great high character. They just could move out on that competence scale a little bit, right? So uh, Proverbs might call them uh, simple, maybe naive, maybe immature. Okay, but they're kind of developing. Uh, that other box down in the corner, these are the people who are really good at being bad. Okay, I actually, one of my specialties is forensic accounting. Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean I study dead people. Uh, no, no, we, forensic means fit for law. And so uh, there's all kinds of crime around money, right? And so there's all kinds of people, great examples that you can find that are really good at being bad. Um, one of our former presidents, I think it might have been Woodrow Wilson, said to train a person in the mind and not morals is to educate a menace to society. Okay, so wise money. How do we get there? And I'm so excited about this. Um, before I go further, I wonder if you know what the Bible says about money. I'll bet if I asked most people, a lot of people says, well, you know, doesn't God like want us to give it to him? 
You've probably heard that sermon. You're not going to get that one from me. Sorry. Um, but uh, uh, interesting, giving doesn't make uh, one time I, I read through the whole Bible, highlighted every passage on wealth, put it into a uh, Word document. Uh, I got 100, uh, sorry, 1,300 passages, uh, 112 pages, single space, 12-point font. God says a lot about money, a lot about wealth. Okay, but believe it or not, giving it to him isn't the, the biggest thing. It didn't even make the top five. I did break it into three categories, giving to God, giving to the poor, and giving to others. But, and to put them together, it didn't make number three. But that's not number one or number two. So at this point, I'd like to have us all stand as is the practice of Glenn Kirk. We're going to read a few verses from the Proverbs. And the Proverbs is right at the heart of what the Bible or what scholars call the wisdom literature talks a lot about being wise. It's a great place to start. I'm going to cover three passages. And just to get started as I read this, I want you to understand, we've jumped in the middle here. This is wisdom speaking. Okay, so if you start at the beginning of chapter 8, but I'm just jumping down a little ways. Wisdom says, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So hold on to that thought. I'm going to jump to another proverb here. And by the way, the Proverbs has lots and lots and lots to say about wealth. This is actually written not by Solomon, who through God's Spirit wrote much of the Proverbs, but this fellow named Agur, who describes himself as a brute beast, who does not have human understanding. But he does say this, and it's very insightful. He says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. One more passage. This one is from Solomon. Proverbs 23, uh, 4 and 5. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You can have a seat. Thank you for standing. So let me just pray. Holy Father, we praise your name. And Father, I want to speak your word this morning. Uh, may your word be on my tongue so that people can get past me and get to what you have to say to them this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's theme, in case you've caught the cover of the bulletin, it's probably written there. It's, the theme is receiving. No, it's not on the cover, interesting. But the first of five topics, oh, inside cover, receiving. Believe it or not, the number one thing the Bible talks about wealth is not you giving it to him, but how much God keeps giving to you. I know we get so spun up about giving some away that we get a little uncomfortable, right? But God just keeps telling you how much he gives you. Over and over and over, God is the real giver. It says in James, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Um, by the way, giving is the cost of your love. Okay, when you give to another person, you're giving up something. Well, God, in the same way as this 
ultimate giver who gives you everything you've ever had, everything you've ever known, it's from God. God the Father, we, we sang about it several times. I'm actually over here crying during the worship songs thinking, what an amazing God, right? But God the Father gave his son. The one thing he couldn't make more of so that you can't say it didn't cost him anything. He can just make more of it. He gave the one thing, the greatest gift heavenly possible. For God so loved the world that he gave us, right? His one and only son to save us. That's the greatest gift heavenly possible. And by the way, his son, Jesus Christ, we just celebrated last week, Easter, right? Jesus gave the greatest gift humanly possible. I say this from human terms because Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that they give up or lay down their life for their friends. And Jesus did for that for us over 2,000 years ago, and we're still remembering that great gift. So God is the great giver. That is the biggest theme in the Bible. Wealth is a gift from God. And yet the second biggest theme is it's deceitful. Greed. I put greed and deception together in a category, but um, wealth is a blessing, but it quite quickly can become a curse for us when we set our hearts on it instead of him. So before I move on and cover receiving, and I am going to cover this uh, in a little bit of depth, what the Proverbs say. I'm going to bore through. I'm going to take some of the Proverbs we read, but it says so much about wealth that I'm going to put three big categories up for you in just a moment. Before I get there, though, um, I want you to remember back to when the first time you realized that God loved you. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, but to me, and I'm, I'm going to keep this short, story very short because I, I spoke here many years ago, and I think I maybe shared this story. But for me, it was when I almost lost my um, uh, 20-month-old son. And his name's Joshua. He's doing fine, by the way. Uh, but uh, he had a head injury, and he was convulsed and blue. And um, I was just crying out to God, God, please don't take my son. I'd miss him too much. But that's not when I realized how much God loved me. It was that night when I was doing um, whatever the standard medical protocol is to you shine a light in their eyes after concussions to make sure their uh, pupils are dilating uh, properly. And as I'm holding my son, praising God for giving him back to me, I knew that there's nothing I could have done to bring my son back. And here's my aha moment, if you will. I realized that God could have saved his son and didn't for me. I hope you understand how much God loves you. He gave you everything. And I'm talking about wealth today, but there's things so much more important, life. But here's something. Uh, so prosperity theology is pretty much panned by a lot of groups, right? Name it and claim it. God's not some vending machine out there. And yet in the process, I think we dishonor God when we forget that he gave us everything. And in fact, he gave us not only a better way to live, but he gave us life itself, right? In fact, God says, 
through, uh, we were just doing a series of, of Moses and the books of Moses and talking about these different things in the, in the Lent series. But at the end of Deuteronomy, he says, uh, through Moses, God says, look, I lay before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. You choose. It says, follow me, and it's life and prosperity. Go the other direction, it's death and destruction. Jesus has said exactly the same thing. The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you would have life and have it to the full, or have it more abundantly. Nobody comes to God for less. Don't act like you did. You come to God because he offers so much more. Not just this life, but eternal life. It's a free gift from God. You can't afford it. In fact, one of the reasons I love Jesus' great use of wealth to gain friends forever, the Bible tells us there's one thing you can never afford, the cost of a life. Nobody can pay the ransom for their life. So, enough of that, setting up the series. I want to jump into what the Bible says about uh, what I call the wisdom-wealth connection, or what I would say poverty's cure. So here it is, the three biggest topics on wealth in the Proverbs, they're right here. Now, yeah, I love that first guy. It's a good-looking slide, but the wisdom-wealth connection, here it is. It's very simple. And by the way, I'm an accountant, and so I have this habit of counting verses. Can't help myself. Okay, but I have this, this belief that if God really meant it, he'd probably repeat himself. <laughs> Does that make sense? A lot of crazy theologies, people find one verse and run with it. But God just keeps repeating over and over, do something. Do something, you'll have something, don't you won't. Diligence versus sloth. And so when I say this wisdom, wealth is poverty's cure, God's design for us is to do something with our lives. Do something. And so, um, diligence versus sloth. And you know what a sloth is, right? They're this lovely little animal that hangs upside down. The Proverbs also have another animal they call a sluggard. <laughs> Sorry, it's like, a, it just reminds of a slug. It just doesn't really do anything, right? But a sluggard is this person who doesn't do anything. And um, uh, some Proverbs that warn about being a sluggard um, Probably the most famous one that at least that comes to my mind is um, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. So do something. It's the best cure for, for poverty. Okay, and I love this one also. This is actually a proverb, uh, a great word picture. Uh, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Reminds me at the end of my Super Bowl parties. I'm get to the Doritos, but I, I can't get it home. But anyway, okay, so do something. The second thing is do it right. Righteousness versus wickedness. Unlike what the world may show you, teach you, that you have to cheat to get ahead, God sees it exactly opposite. Do it right. He says it's the righteous person who gets ahead. The wicked person might spring up overnight but it said they disappear and never be seen from again. The righteous person, you can knock them down seven times. They keep popping back up. People are rooting for the person who's doing it right. So don't cheat people for your wealth, right? Don't um, 
Anyway, hoarding and greed and all these things. Righteousness versus wickedness. And in fact, if you do those two things together, um, I think you could become quite wealthy. There is a third thing. Be generous. This one doesn't make any mathematical sense. I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Uh, there's a penny. Uh, I, I do have to be an account for just a moment. Um, there's a penny. Make sure when you throw the bulletin away, you keep that. Okay. It's very important. Why does that matter? Well, um, I, I, didn't, I, I get to talk about receiving. That's my topic. But um, there's three things you can do with your wealth. You can eat it. It's like seed. You can eat it or pay your bills. You can store it or you can plant it. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that if you invest a penny, this penny I've given you, at the average stock market return of the last 100 years, 9.6%, for just 223 years and one month, you will have a million dollars. So Dr. Thornton has just made you fabulously wealthy. You're welcome. So take that. Um, <clears throat> usually my students say, thanks, Dr. Thornton, but I wasn't planning on living that long. And no offense, but most of you look older. <laughs> that, was, that was wrong. But anyway, so you're not planning on living that long, but it does prove one thing, right? Anything invested for eternity is worth more than everything here. In fact, that penny at 10%, at 315 years, did you know you pass $100 billion? That used to be the richest man in the world. Uh, Elon Musk shot up there. I think he's back down again. But anyway, $100 billion, just 315 years. No wonder Jesus said if you give even a cup of cold water in my name, you surely will not lose your reward. So um, before I move on, sorry, I'm keeping track of time because I talk too long. Oh, and I'm running out of time. So sure enough, let me, uh, let me move on to giving just really quickly. Okay, and that is uh, that last passage I read uh, about how wealth will surely sprout wings and fly away. There's one risk-free investment. The Proverbs say the one who gives to the poor, lends to the Lord. That's risk-free. God's good for it. It's hard to imagine God would owe you anything. But he says, tell you what, I want to owe you. Give to the poor. That is a risk-free investment. So, um, because I'm almost out of time, um, I want to move to kind of the action part of this. Um, last week, Pastor Tim, if you're here at Easter, talked about Peter. And Peter and all the disciples, I don't know if you noticed this, that they were 100% in when it came to following Jesus. I mean, Peter and his brother and James and John, other fishermen, they just got up, left their boats, left their father, left their business and followed him 100% in. Matthew, a tax collector, a good accountant, left his money at the table, I think, and just followed Jesus. Wow! And yet, Tim pointed out last week how when Jesus was crucified, even though he rose again, for three years, they'd been following Jesus, but now Jesus is leaving. What do we do now? What did they do? They went back to fishing. Peter, the leader of the whole group, took more than half the disciples with him, and they went back to their old job. They went back to fishing. Now, by the way, fishing might be what God called you to do, but I want to tire Peter in really quickly. When I said do something, I have been fascinated with one question almost all my Christian life. It's this question. I'm saved. Now what? I'm saved. Now what? And Peter, at the end of his life, tells us 
the best thing, he says, for this very reason, that his divine power has given you everything for life and godliness, so it's a gift from God, you've received it, do something with your life. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and mutual affection love. Why? For if you have these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if anybody doesn't have them, they're nearsighted and blind and forgotten they've been saved from their past sins. So I know as you're going through life, I talk to college students all the time, they're trying to figure out what's right. Folks, that is what is right. That is 2 Peter chapter 1. If you forget everything I said today, just go to that. And he says a few verses later, if you do these things, you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. I don't know what God has for you, but the work he has given you to do matters if you understand you're doing it for his glory to love other people. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, what? Learn to be the servant of all. This is greatness. I'm going to ask the worship group to come up here for just a second as I wrap this up. Uh, uh, my life story, my testimony, uh, is they're giving away Jesus' uh, Terrible Financial Advice, a book I wrote some years ago. It's out there. I'd, I'd encourage you to take it. Even if you have one, give it to a friend. Uh, it was my effort to evangelize people. And it's called Jesus' Terrible Financial Advice, um, not because I'm trying to mock Jesus, uh, but terrible has three words, three meanings. Uh, the first one uh, is exceedingly bad. And a lot of times when we read what Jesus says, like, give to everybody who asks, we think, wow, that's terrible advice. I'd be broken a day. And then the next meaning of terrible is terrifying. And if you understand Jesus really meant it, you get scared. Like Jesus' disciples kept saying, Lord, increase my faith. But if you actually put his financial advice into practice with the same purpose of Jesus to glorify his father, it goes this last definition of terrible, like, the terrible day of the Lord, like awesome. It is amazing. It will change your life. So please, as you go through this Money Wise series, think about managing wealth well so you can glorify God and make friends forever. Thank you.